This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If you're a CISO of a global company, you're going to have to consider NIS for sure. If you've got any sort of operations in Europe, then this will be really relevant to you. And it could be that the, what NIS expects of you is very similar to what you're doing under NIS. US rules could be that there's a very close comparison. It's very likely that's the case. That was Jonathan Armstrong. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to Life with GDPR, a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague Jonathan Armstrong, we explore various data privacy and data protection issues, largely under GDPR, but also under other regulatory frameworks. Today is one of those where we look at NIS 2. We're also joined by Matt Kelly and Jonathan Marks for this most interesting new regulatory framework, which has gone live in the EU. I know you'll enjoy it. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with Life with GDPR. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. A friend across the pond, Jonathan Armstrong. And what can you tell us about the compliance of wearing seatbelts? while giving press conferences in the backseat of your limo. It's simply enough that I can tell you not to do that. Prime Minister Sunak, if you're listening, another compliance failure. But perhaps more relevantly to our audience today, I want to talk a little bit about the NIS 2 directive. So what's the NIS 2 directive, you might ask? In simple terms, it's the second directive after NIS 1. But you probably need to know a bit more than that. The NIST directives, because we now have two, deal with cybersecurity, information security in the EU. NIST one was passed in 2016, and they're basically pieces of legislation that sort of sit alongside GDPR, but look at slightly different things. They're about the security of national infrastructure, which may or may not involve data breaches. So, for example, if the pumping station in your town gets knocked out by a cyber attack, then that's likely to be reportable under the NIS regime, but not necessarily under GDPR, because the pumping station might not have personal data there. So a lot of this is about looking at infrastructure. And in some respects, there are already plans to us. But part of the update to NIS is about a response to COVID and the many attacks that we saw 
on critical national infrastructure during COVID, particularly on pharmaceutical businesses, health businesses, where it was thought that they had the magic formula for vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. And I know that was huge. I know some people who work in this space that were working flat out at that time. This one, as I say, has been around for a while. It's imposed additional reporting obligations in various sectors. And it, as I say, it's about the wider information security piece, not just data breaches. There are reporting obligations like under GDPR, but there's been a perceived lack of enforcement, a perceived lack of consistency across the EU. By the way, the UK still has a NIS regime. It won't do NIS 2 in the same form, but the UK will broadly follow these EU developments here. And the reporting obligations are many and varied. So if you're an airline, for example, then you have to report to your airline regulator, I guess the equivalent of the Federal Aviation Administration, under the NIS regime. As I say, you might also have to report to the data regulator under GDPR at the same time. And always a delicate balance to make because the NIS reporting deadline is tougher. You've got to make your initial report in 24 hours, follow-up report in 72 hours, which obviously matches GDPR. So perhaps the main difference, NIS 2 versus NIS 1, is the extension of the number of sectors that are covered. And there's some exact details of this on the Cordry website. But basically, it's going to be things like healthcare, digital service providers, waste water providers, some type of product manufacturers, postal and courier services. That's in addition to the sectors that were in NIS 1. So that's things like energy, transport, air transportation, banking and financial services, pharma, clean water, wastewater is in NIS 2, clean water in, in NIS 1, other forms of digital infrastructure, some food provisions, vaccines, things like that. So a pretty comprehensive list. And we've obviously extended the definition of what national infrastructure is. And I think that's probably realistic, isn't it? Things that weren't super essential to us in 2016, so some forms of data distribution, are more critical to us in 2023 than they were in 2016. So in some respects, NIS 2 versus NIS 1 is a sign of how the world has become even more dependent on technology and how nation states and other attackers are determined to try and effectively resort to, to warfare by unfair means. And in response to Matt's question, the reporting obligation is generally to the regulator that regulates your industry. So if you're an airline, you're reporting to the airline regulator. If you're a regulated water provider, then you're regulating, reporting to the water regulator, et cetera, et cetera. And the exact reporting lines are left to each country within the EU. This isn't prescribed by Brussels at an EU level. Every country within the EU has to introduce its own scheme, its own reporting obligations, and set up systems in those regulators to receive reports, but also in some cases to share them across the EU. The original plan for NIS, the original version, was to have a central reporting hub based in Greece, 
where all vulnerabilities would be reported to this one hub. I happen to be involved in the consultation exercise for NIS-1. One of the points that I and many others said is putting all of Europe's vulnerabilities into one box and trusting it to one underfunded organization in Greece is not a great idea. Because if I'm a nation-state actor, instead of having to compromise, for example, 400 different entities to find vulnerabilities, I only have to get one prize box. And thankfully, that those representations were listened to. So NIS is different. As I say, it does have these reporting requirements to different regulators in different places. Those regulators will assess how severe the incident is. And if it looks like an attack on Europe as a whole, then they'll share data with equivalent regulators in other countries as well. The obligations include on your supply chain. So if you're a food production business, for example, you're going to have to look at NIST reports throughout the supply chain. So again, a recognition that supply chain is critical to security and to oper safe operations for many businesses. It, as I say, includes reporting obligations within 24 hours. And there are fines which work a little bit like the GDPR fining regime. 2% of uh, global annual revenue is the fine. And obviously, you can be fined under the NIS regime and under the GDPR regime for the same breach. So the idea is that in some circumstances, two regulators in parallel will investigate and they'll fine for different things. Theoretically, you could be up to six, seven, eight percent of revenue by the time you've had different regimes in place, like the EU regime versus the UK regime, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's a directive, not a regulation. You, we could have a whole podcast on why that's a different thing, but it's not like GDPR, where it's a uniform law that is. Uh, theoretically enforced the same across the EU. It's a direction to national governments to make a law that looks like this. They can add stuff to it as well, and many countries will. So expect to see fairly granular obligations on things like minimum security standards, which corporations will have to comply with. Countries have until 17th of October 2024 to produce their law, so to get it through their domestic parliaments, and the provisions must be in a month after that. So the legislation itself, as I say, fall 2024, there's various obscure constitutional arguments on how some of the provisions could be regarded as in force now. Obviously, NIS-1 is already in law, and so some of these data breaches can be prosecuted under NIS-1, and we're likely to see more concentration on NIS-1 now that the uh, process of putting a NIS-2 has gone through. I suppose in some respects, nothing to do immediately for corporations except get ready and they'll need to prepare, and they'll need to look at things like getting the right processes in place, rehearsing to make sure that they can do reports within 24 hours, making sure that their supply chain is connected, 
and doing training both for their own operations and for the supply chain on the need to identify issues quickly and and possibly report. That's it in a nutshell. Jonathan Marks, you have a question for Jonathan Armstrong. Yeah, Jonathan, I'm just wondering, the this framework is just that. It's a framework, correct? Uh, and then I guess part two of this is that if it's really a guide for, it doesn't really address controls. So what would you recommend for somebody out there that's trying to follow the NIST framework as its guide? And then what complements that? From- yeah, good question, Jonathan. Maybe the first thing is to re- revolve some confusion. We're talking here about NIST, N-I-S, which is similar, but not the same as NIST, N-I-S-T, i.e. the U.S. cybersecurity rules. It's unfortunate that they've both got similar names. And whereas NIST can in some respects be prescriptive, you're right that NIST tends not to be. So the EU NIST isn't as prescriptive as US NIST can be. And I suppose it's similar in some respects to GDPR. Businesses have to take appropriate technical and organizational measures. I'm simplifying. And they have to do what they can to prevent attacks. In many cases, they're going to rely on advice from their own sector regulators. For example, if I'm in aviation, there in the UK, the Civil Aviation Authority, for example, have done some great work with some really well-known, competent individuals to get out to the airline sector and say, this is what risk looks like, and this is what we expect you to do to prevent it. So it's left to industry regulators to do that. This is what we expect of you, peace. In addition, you can get, you'd be expected to follow guidance given by certs as part of the EU cybersecurity regime. Each country has an incident response team, which will give guidance and advice as well. And that might be, if you like, advice on current threats, or it might be more generic advice on security. As I said, the UK still has the NIS-1 regime. It will move to something that looks like NIS-2, but it'll be called differently. And in the UK, we have advice from NCSC, National Cybersecurity Centre, which is an adjunct of GCHQ, which will issue advice from time to time, either generic or sector-based. That might be public or it might be one-on-one. You might literally get NCSC approach you and recommend that you improve your cybersecurity in a defined area. But again, that varies country by country. There is a European security body called INISA, which is setting some standards on an EU-wide basis. That's the outfit that's based in Greece. But there has been some concern in the past that they were somewhat under-resourced. Obviously, some of the funding from INISA comes from the Greek The Greek government have had well-known, well-publicized other priorities. And then they're not, as I understand, even most of their resources aren't even on the Greek mainland. So they've had all sorts of resourcing implications. INISA hopefully will step up to the plate and take more of a lead role on, on some of these issues. But again, it relies on nation state security services to contribute to the base of knowledge. So if you're a CISO of a global company, 
to you have to consider all yeah if you're a CISO of a global company you're going to have to consider this for sure if you've got any sort of operations in Europe then this will be really relevant to you and it could be that the what NIS expects of you is very similar to what you're doing under NIS. US rules could be that there's a very close comparison. It's very likely that's the case. But even if the standards are the same, you should still rehearse reporting under NIS because the 24-hour timeline is more aggressive than you'd commonly see in other jurisdictions. Trust me, I've been in the room when you're trying to make those decisions. It's really hard. And if you haven't had a rehearsal first, you're fairly likely to fail. Yeah, no, I think those are great points. I mean, the only thing that I'm seeing here is that people have bolted themselves, whether it missed in particular here in the U.S., and veering to the left are difficult for many. They just... they can't see beyond that they don't they're not used to what they're doing yeah and i think they they will definitely have to it, it's quite often the case isn't it that people are used to reporting to their home regulator and dealing with their own jurisdiction but we've seen from gdpr fines that's false i would guess and it would be a guess we're about 2.6 billion euros worth of fines i think about 2.2 ish I'd guess, will be U.S. corporations. That forces the message that your home regulator is often not your greatest threat. And I think that's the same in the cybersecurity space as well. This is Tom Fox. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Live for GDPR. In 2023, if you've ever considered starting your own podcast or would like some advice on the production or posting of your podcast, I hope you will consider utilizing the Compliance Podcast Network, the only podcast network dedicated to compliance. If you'd like more information on the Compliance Podcast Network, you can contact me via email at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. This episode of Life with GDPR has been a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.